Hello, everybody. Welcome back. Thank you for joining us again on the Devils in the Details, the Exorcist TV series fan podcast. My name is Tina. And I'm Zoe. And I'm Gaia. And we are here to watch, rewatch, and discuss all of the Exorcist episodes, one episode at a time. Today, we are re-watching episode eight of season one called The Grief Bearers. In this episode, to remind all those that are listening and what happens, this is where Angela gets introduced for the first time to uh, Casey's exorcism room. And that's where there's a lot of climactic sequences there, um, lots of shouting and screaming and chanting. And uh, it's a it's a pretty uh, big, heavy episode, uh, as they all are. I don't even know why. <laughs> <laughs> say it's heavy because every single one is um but just do know in advance that this will have spoilers for all of season one if not even season two we do touch base on some of those things as well well let's kick it off let's go right into in our traditional form let's talk about our opening sequence i loved i loved it again i loved everything um and this is the part where angela gets introduced into the room right after pazuzu says the sow in that creepy creepy way he does so <laughs> where we're yeah. with this with this scene i mean i love this it's a great opening but i love it that it's it has all the proof in it that pazuzu has been targeting the family from the very beginning like he says he was the one standing in the road he was the one that dropped the scaffolding and you know he's been manipulating everything up until this point yeah indeed he is he is the reason why marcus told tomas that this is not a normal possession this is so much more he he had 40 years to plot out his revenge against Reagan. So, of course, he targeted her family. Of course, he did all the bad things that happened to this family. Is because of him. Everything is because of him. He really wanted Angela or Reagan to be so tired so 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 tired and so hard for what her family went through in this little time that of course he targeted everyone this is not a normal possession and now we know how true that statement is yeah yeah it's all kind of led up to this point and um there's so much uh just just anger dripping from every word he says to her in in this meeting like even when he's like rags bloody rags and oh it's just so nasty uh i I love i love the what they gave him in his script to really it just drips of of nasty and dark and when he starts admitting like oh and i was the one that actually unscrewed the um the scaffolding to hit henry's head well he says it a lot better than i am but <laughs> it's like yeah. uh, but it's all the big reveal that he's been there every step of the way just ruining this family so the next scene is uh mother bernadette addressing the press which uh, has a little wordplay because the press itself is pressing quite uh, closely to her convent and she is not having it. So, <laughs> but I loved her in this scene. So what <laughs> what stood out to y'all about this one? I think it's when the note says Mother, Ber- Mother Bernadette owns, I think, sums it up <laughs> in the fact that like, she's totally owning it. She's just like, oh, dudes, you have nothing on this woman. 
She's just like, no, sorry, guys. Uh, time up. Oh, zip it. Oh, out of here. Mic drop. <laughs> she like, literally, I love it. She literally says, like, oh, look at the time. And then, like, closes it, does the zipper over her lip. And I, I just imagined her, like, doing the peace sign with her hand and being like, deuces. <laughs> like, yeah. a, like a boss. Out of here. And, uh, and in this scene, we see how the policeman address Mother Bernadette calling her sister, trying to um, overpower her with his position, oh, yeah. his sexuality, his everything. And she looks at him and is like, Mother, please. That, that, <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. that, that translated could be you know what you could be a man but i am still superior to you so shut up and don't even try it (laughs) she was amazing there's there is a really great it's a (laughs) exorcist fan video that's floating around that has this exact scene where (laughs) the, the the policeman says that and he's like sister just let me in and she goes mother and (laughs) then they in this fan video like it, sh- it goes right into that other viral video where a bunch of people are going like, oh, snap! And everyone's like cheering for her. <laughs> it's really, it's, it's, it's one of those Photoshop videos that just, they did a really good job of making it like this is Mother Bernadette's moment. <laughs> she owns. How about we get into, this is my favorite scene of the whole episode. I know there's a lot of other like shouty, screamy things, but this part where <laughs> Marcus and Tomas are being tempted by Pazuzu they get into his that he gets into their head and they start physically fighting yeah 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 I've got it in my notes as the sexy fight (laughs) (laughs) they start sexy fighting yes (laughs) please I because I have a lot of thoughts on this what I would love to hear your Zoe on the sexy fight Oh my god, on the sexy fight. There's there's lots of levels in this scene. While the sexy fight is going on, I've also got this whole dialogue about flies going on. It's a bit of a juxtaposed scene of like, oh, because what I know, I mean, first you notice off like Marcus and his personal space like issues are out the window because he's like, and I must converse up here and you don't know what you're doing. They look like I'm about to lick you. But at the same time, it's just like, oh, yeah, look at them getting closer. Oh, they want to touch each other. There's that scoring and that insistent buzzing sound of flies and cicadas going on. And like, oh, my God, oh, my God, all the seeds of madness mm-hmm. and all that, like, like decay and rot and disease and all the little festering that's gone on in the body and all the maggots have crawled forth and now they've turned into insects because mm-hmm. obviously maggots turn into flies and so these maggots that have been festering in, all, in the corpses and all these metaphors are now in flies and you can physically hear yes. the little buggers going around yes. and Tomas is doing like a what the hell, what the hell and it's like oh my god <laughs> the evil demon metaphor maggots are now flies and they're going into your ears mm-hmm. and you are losing the plot and Pazuzu's little like yeah demon spawn like thought manipulation is going out and you get and then i'm getting all tense and then they start sexy fighting and i forget (laughs) all my discourse on rot decay and metaphors and i go oh yeah boys yeah yeah oh marcus oh you're up against the wall are you oh oh dear oh yeah submit are you on the floor oh and i'm just like oh yeah well there we go and it's just like and even then, Tomas is like, yeah, I want to go. I want to grapple you some more. And Marcus is like, wait a minute, wait a minute. Something's going wrong here. He's coming to his senses. And 
And Tomas is still like, no, I can still go. I can still go. And Mark is like, no, demon flies are in your ears. There are demon flies in your ears. We've got, and because he says, Marcus has that quote, which I've written it down, is it worms its way and lays its eggs. Yes, I wrote the same one down. It lays its little yeah. eggs, and and he's just gripping Tomas's face. Of course, he's he has to grip his like face and his yeah. shoulders because that's the only way Marcus knows how to touch Tomas is by its gripping. Yeah. <laughs> and, yeah. and and Tomas's face, he like you can see like in his eyes because he's just like you said, Zoe. He's like, I can fight, I can still fight, I can. but then it like slowly transitions to awareness and like, oh shit, he's got God his way into my head. I feel bad. <laughs> I love that the the thing that like triggers them both is when <laughs> Tomas says you're not an exorcist and oh, no I'm sorry Marcus says you're not an exorcist and Tomas says to him well you're not a priest and I'm like boom <laughs> that was a low blow yeah come on yeah. be nice to yeah, each other guys come on don't be a dick yeah. <laughs> exactly well then this is next scene really just it's just a quick transition right into the same um they're still in the same scene with with exorcism happening mm -hmm. but now they've introduced angela so they open the door to angela yeah. uh they allow her to come in and and be a part of the battle so as they say it's worth a shot let's bring her in um that's where it gets real shouty there's a lot of uh you know there they go into the the prayer of i forgive you fallen mm -hmm. angel and many of them are saying marcus is saying i forgive you fallen angel uh mother bernadette is saying i forgive you fallen angel everybody is is kind of circling around casey to try to help her also has that brilliant effect where yeah. they walk into the room and all the chairs are floating. Yes, yes. And then they just go, and it's like, oh, oh, that's yeah. creepy. Oh, that's unnatural. There's a real surgence of power there. You can feel how much energy is in that room and it is mm. not good energy. Yes. No, I, I love the whoever, whatever, whatever the role is called, the prop people that put together these special effects that make it look really supernatural. They always do a really good job of making it not too over the top. Like even just the two chairs, having them uh, have this symmetry, one on the left, one on the right, perfectly in the exact same position and then drop at the exact same time. I think it's just it's a cool way to make it look a devilish there is a devil supernatural demon here but it's not like oh big flashy like worm light thing that's fire and it's not it's what's the word i'm looking to it's not melodramatic i no it's it's not over the top it's right. not in your face it's kind of a subtle creeping horror because you could almost miss those floating chairs because right. they're so still and yes. then there's just like that instant crash that makes you jump, that gives you that tingle of energy and fear that gets your heart beating so you can take in the intensity of what's to continue. Mm -hmm. So it just kind of frames the scene and gives you that beat of fear without it being like, you know, the chairs aren't flying at anyone. They're not flying towards the camera. Yeah. Like, it's just, it's underplayed. And because of that, it just feels that more realer and it just it sets you on edge because it's just that it's only slightly out of place and therefore it's that uncanny zone of fear ah uh, it's a perfect word it's it's uncanny it's that that like something is off about this obviously because they're floating yeah i get that but like <laughs> yeah. just even the perfect symmetry of it and that and that stillness yeah i, I, I just I always I, I grow more and more in my love for this show every time I rewatch it, which I which shouldn't be possible because I'm obsessed with it already. The next sequence is the flashback. This is when uh, the way they introduce the flashback is you see Casey laying on the altar and her head turns with that 
Cheshire cat grin um, and turns over to look at Angela and they start having that telepathic conversation. Do you remember that? And it goes into the flashback sequence with the Ouija board. So um, all that to say, uh, it's, it's a pretty critical scene right here. I would love to know what was going through y'all's heads with this one. What's great about this scene is just from the filming. So Mm -hmm. like it's that link and they film it in that way where the everything is still going on in the background but for Pazuzu and Angela time slows Mm -hmm. and stops and you listen to the soundtrack and all the buzzing and all the music starts to fade and so it all goes into like a low hum and there's no scoring and it's two characters forming a psychic link and they and they basically just exist in this own world for them they go to a different headspace and all this chaos is around them and no one has noticed that those two have left this plane of existence mm-hmm. and now having their own psychic battle in a completely different landscape. And the landscape has been shaped as that scene from Angela's childhood. Yeah, and they take it back and they've recreated that family home from the movie perfectly. Yes, It's the yes. exact same set and in it. And then you see young Regan and... Oh, it's awesome. Oh, I mean, I could just, yeah. I mean, I could yes. just talk for days. No, no, like, no I, I feel you because I'm the exact same. I feel equally passionate and excited about this. When you're talking about the the replication of the original scene and the Ouija boards right in the center. When I first watched this, when it was first live, like my horror fan heart exploded because I'm like, oh, she's going to talk to him. She's going to like, like, it feels like, oh my God, that big fan. Moment. Like she's going to talk to, you know, like <laughs> the Backstreet Boy, but it's like the horror equivalent of that. She's going to talk to Captain Howdy. She's going to talk to yeah. <laughs> You know, like, and then when the, the letters actually spell W D Y, I'm like, she is. She's totally talking to him. Woo! <laughs> you got a fan girl out, and at the same time, going, wait a minute, this is not a good thing. This is not a good thing. But yeah, your horror fan girl is just like, oh yeah, it's Captain Howdy. Wait a minute, wait, no, yeah. Wait. Oh, Captain yeah. Howdy. I know. And then, and you get all this extra layers of backstory with it, like the fact that Captain Howdy is dressed from someone Reagan met earlier that day that just st- stuck with her. Like she'd gone to this fair and there was a photographer yes. that had the, a little bird and, was like, and got her photo taken. Oh, but it was still, but I loved, I loved this introduction of, of this canon because I don't think in the 70s version of it, or I don't know if in, in the book, that the first introduction to Pazuzu was through a photographer. I think the first introduction was through the Ouija board. So this is uh, this new universe's uh, spin on it. They said, actually, the first foray into Pazuzu's world was when when she was six years old not not the ouija board and so it adds this element of even more creepiness because she's even younger more innocent uh, more able to be uh molded and and turned which adds such a creepy factor and adds that layer of um grooming to that to the to the rape theme yeah. to, the, to the idea and doesn't she even say to angela uh, angela says to pazuzu you were the photographer and you took my picture and you made me feel and they cut her off but I think she was going to say, you made me feel so pretty. Like that kind of creepy grooming yeah. way that, that yeah. uh, predators. There's oh. a lot of pseudo-sexual conversation at, that's kind of played into that with that whole meeting. Because if you're thinking of something that would approach a child to make them feel happy and welcomed, you think of a clown. Mm-hmm. Because you're like, of course, like, you know, you kind of but the clown mythology and the use of clowns has been so used and it doesn't want to go up against things like it that have already used that approachable thing to children. So you try and think of other things from that carnival, especially at that time of history where 
carnivals and circuses would have been the things that children went out to. Mm-hmm. And like a lot of those elements don't come across as friendly and comforting. And But a photographer is a safe space. And also it is that element of like, you look pretty, I'm going to take your photo. And what girl doesn't want to be like, yeah, yeah I'm pretty, please take yeah. my photo because I look lovely. Right, right, right. And it's, it's, it's so sinister. It's, uh, you know, the way he's dressed, the red, uh, just inviting, it's playful. It's just carnival colors. I'm, I'm out, I'm a friendly guy. And it's yeah. got the little, yeah, he actually has a little carnival on him. I love how they showed like, you know, watch the birdie. And so it's, it, and they have that cool, like, the, the photographer sound effect. Yeah. And then right, right, right when that happens, the bird flies over to young Reagan's character. And it's like, that's the moment I first uh, latched onto you. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And then and then everything when you see young Reagan in that like trance and it's basically she's she's having a seizure and it's yeah. a seizure known as, an, as absence because like people think seizures are just one kind. There's many kinds of seizures. But it seems like it's an absence so she's she's photoed off for a moment and she's having like she's no longer there in her body but she's getting so much pleasure from this experience and she's starting to drool Mm. and you could just see like she's a young girl on on just on that first bit of adolescence and her body is not ready for that kind of adult pleasure yeah it's amazing and as you said it's that camera sound and the and, and the jump cuts that it goes it just makes the shutter sound and the click and then Pazuzu is moved instantly to another point yeah and he's just like oh you unnatural being that's just like playing on a natural sound and using it to go it's a memory trigger it's like you hear the cut the shutter and she's like I feel pretty I had my photo taken I'm Pazuzu I'm now going to lick your face and oh. adult Angela knows that that whole introduction was wrong and uncomfortable and disgusting uh, yeah he says what does he say you you taste different you taste like death now like always just yeah. dropping these terrible nasty things into her psyche like that's what exactly yeah. i would imagine a demon to say like they don't say just the stuff that we hear in these superficial horror movies that are like i'm here to eat your face and kill your family like it's so typical devil speak but this is so like hits the to the core of what evil truly is and sounds like ah i, I could I'm just in awe of these writers the next scene is the uh, oh, oh oh I call it I'm just calling it the act of contrition. <laughs> but it's the scene where uh, we're back transported back to Casey in the real world and she's flailing. This is the one where she's flailing up and down, up and down, and Thomas yes. reaches it's over to Marcus. Exact same way they do it in the movie. Ex- oh yes, it's exactly the same. Like that's they they, they really analyze that entire movie. You can tell um, with all these homages. Yeah. And then Thomas goes to Marcus at this point and he says because. They, they don't know what to do. She doesn't seem to be getting any better. And he shows Marcus the prayer in the Bible. And Marcus says, it's yeah. worth a shot. Let's let's give that a go. And the prayer itself is the one a lot of the, I think Catholics are familiar with it. It's the, <laughs> it's another, it's another act of <laughs> prayer of, uh, I need to be forgiven because I'm ashamed and I'm terrible. It's one of those. It's called an act of contrition <laughs> prayer. Of course it is. Of course it is. I right, mean, right. we are Catholic. <laughs> oh, oh, oh. Do you really believe we can go one day without contrition? 
I mean, come on. <laughs> we, we for sure exactly. did something exactly. very bad during that day, right? Uh, <laughs> right. Yeah. yeah, I'm sure. I, I, um, so this whole scene where they start uh, shouting the act of contrition player, a prayer leads into the area where the, the, the head spinning is about to happen. So there's a lot there. Um, where, what, what stood out to us um, with, with all things shoutiness and almost head spinningness? <laughs> Again, it's all it's all brilliant. It's all it's all layers of Pazuzu abusing Casey to try and get that that rise in Angela to just try and show how much control he has and how much little she has and how much he's just he's got Casey a hundred percent and he's going to abuse and use her until he gets what he wants. It's like, oh you evil dick. <laughs> it's like, oh. it's just Right. Right, right. Um, I I really liked that he, of course, is going to go into the scene where he's going to hurt Casey in the worst way possible. So he's he starts doing the famous, you know, turning to the right. And all of us who are watching are going, this is it. This is the thing we know that's going to happen eventually in a show called The Exorcist. Yeah. They're going to do the head spin. And I love, love, love that the dialogue there. Pazuzu oh, says, yes. <laughs> we're, we're, like, what are you doing? He goes, I'm giving the audience what they want. And I'm going, well, how meta yeah. can you be <laughs> at this point? I know. It's like, give the yep. people what they want. Right. Like, yeah. oh because God, he's really yeah. sure that's, uh, that show, <laughs> it's about him. But it's not. We really, we really should right. tell Pazuzu that that show is not about him. It's about people defeating him. In this moment, he is sure the whole audience into that room is for him. So he is on stage. Mm -hmm. He is the one who has power. He is the one who, he, who wants to be adored. That's the whole point. Pazuzu wants to be adored. No one. No one does it. Yeah, no he's, one loves he's... him. No one adores him. But he is pretty sure he is the star of this show. Yeah. Yeah. What a, what a loser. Yeah. <laughs> he, he just wants attention. Yeah. <laughs> the ego on that man. The oh. ego on that demon. Like, get over yourself. Yeah. <laughs> Got more. It's like, cause all, there's all the special effects. It's like, Pazuzu's totally taking control and fighting them and, the, and obviously lifting up Casey's body and you've got the, like, it's climaxing. It's like, some big crescendo is just like is happening at this and then like i don't know if anyone else noticed but you know how the, it goes up she's like floating the music starts peaking and then you hear whispering voices on the wind you can just hear these little voices in the background talking god oh. knows what they're saying because they're so quiet yeah you can but it's almost as if like all the energy all the voices all the thoughts any other spirit or supernatural like entity is all hearing this momentous moment happening and like maybe even it's other demons like other places are whispering like oh my goodness i think pazuzu's in trouble and and you can just hear all these other little voices oh. whispering around in the background that's so cool like, I, didn't, like, I, I, like... I didn't even notice the whispering that this next scene has tomas a princess carrying Casey into the ambulance, all slow motion. So yep. <laughs> that's all I can call it, princess carrying. It's, it's just, I mean, it's a very small scene, but what I found most powerful about it is there's absolutely no dialogue in it. 
There's no dialogue, but the way the characters look at each other just tells you everything you need to know. Like there's fear, but there's hope. There's there's love and there's gratitude. And like, it's like, you know, and they put Casey on the stretcher and then they play that like beautiful haunting bit of music. Yeah. And it's just got some lovely scoring. And it's just like, they really trying to inject, this is the moment of hope. This is the moment where things are coming back together and they might find some happiness. I, for the first time, I don't agree with that. Because the music, no, because for me, that music is like, it's telling us it's a moment to, to cry the loss of someone we have loved. It's, it's like a murmuring scene because it's the same music that leads us to the uh, demon guy blowing his, uh, his brain off uh, with the blood yeah. uh, staining the wall and the upside down cross. Yeah. So uh, for me, it's a moment. Oh, that's what makes it amazing is the juxtaposition. Yeah, that's, but, but for oh. me, it's um, something that tells you, okay, this is a moment of peace. Uh, Casey, for once, is really safe, but don't uh, don't hold your breath because bad things. Oh uh, yeah, don't get too comfortable. Yeah, yeah. because bad yeah. things are yeah. still going to happen. And I show you what, and bam, we go to the other scene with the guy blowing his brain, and the upside down crosses all over the place, and you are like, ah, okay, yeah. Wow. Okay. Yes. No, but that, that's yeah, brilliant. Yeah. It, it, it absolutely is brilliant. But yeah, you know. Yeah. And and to yeah yeah, yeah no because I I I see your point, guy. I think it is very much like you know you're it feels like we're all good and done and everything's over. Yeah. But here's this also scary guy doing his thing, and it's one of those for me it was like a red herring moment because i'm like wait a minute it's only episode eight like <laughs> there's gonna be some other stuff this is not over like everything is way too creepy and and nice right now for her to just be like go in the ambulance and okay yeah we're good there let's just continue the 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 big vatican yeah. conspiracy yeah. story i i knew yeah it it felt it felt fake on purpose yeah, which of i liked it was. <laughs> obviously i like it because of obviously there was no dialogue it plays that you feel that there's hope and peace. It's only when the scene switches where you start feeling that ominosity. It's just like, it's it's taking something that should have been hope and peace and then realizing that it wasn't and you were tricked into thinking you had a moment of like, a moment to breathe. Mm -hmm. And at the one moment you thought you could finally breathe was the one moment where something even more horrific with like demon headshot came out of. Yeah. Yeah, and I know we're going to go into the writer's room to talk a little bit of the upside-down crosses yeah. uh, with Gaia. So so without adding too much onto that theme of the upside-down crosses, uh, there still seemed to be a lot to talk about with the SWAT team coming in uh, to approach the homeless man that's clearly possessed. Um, particularly, in my, in my opinion, I wanted to talk about the quote he says to them right before he kills himself, which was, uh, can you hear the angels? Can you hear them singing? Um, that that was just 
you know, obviously it was a creepy factor, but I'd like to know what y'all's theories were on why they chose that particular line before they had that character kill himself. Uh, because technically, uh, in my opinion, technically, uh, the most powerful and the most beautiful of all angels ever created in history was Lucifer. And uh, angels are supposed to sing when God will come on earth for the last judgment. In this case, he is talking about Lucifer. Lucifer is coming on earth. And the angels are singing because, in, uh, of course, he is possessed. So in his mind and in his opinion, Lucifer is the real God. He already won the war. Oh. Okay. That's a cool take on it. Because I, I, I was thinking it was a, it was more of a mockery of a lot of the Bible verses that have angels singing. You know, when Jesus is born, they in Luke, they talk about how the angels erupt into song and yeah. hallelujah. And it's always a singing when there's a joyous moment. So um, I was thinking he was mocking the times of joy that angels have had. But that's even cooler, the fact that it's like, no, the angels, the dark angels, yeah. the demons are now exactly. singing in, in her heralding Lucifer. Exactly, coming. because yeah. for a demon, uh, it's a moment of joy when and if Lucifer will come. So the, the the singing, the act of singing, it holds the same uh, uh, meaning, but of course it it changed the, the the reason why they are singing. Oh, cool! I wonder what that sounds like—like like demons singing for Lucifer. Is it like heavy metal? Or... <laughs> I think it will be. I think it's beautiful. It must be beautiful because if Lucifer exactly. is the most beautiful. And in pretty much every incantation of Lucifer there's ever been, Lucifer is so beautiful. And that's why you kind of lose your shit and do what Lucifer says, because you you, you do as human beings, you are mortal and you listen to beautiful yeah. people. It's just like, you're beautiful, I must listen to you, because there's some kind of awe that just messes up your brain or something that just makes you weak around beautiful people yeah like, yeah you know that hence why every time like marcus does anything i'm just like oh you beautiful soul i was i'm <laughs> thoroughly behind every opinion and thought you had because you're so beautiful <laughs> it's just like you just do it i would no i think they i think it but, should be i think it should be actually beautiful singing music because he is the demon of of music and all that but how funny would it be if they just <laughs> they start singing it sounds like cold play or something <laughs> oh god then <laughs> you would get very depressed everybody <laughs> like what is the most beautiful music it sounds like ramstein there we go yeah. it'll be ramstein i love ramstein yeah. they're, they're great i'm gonna listen to them all day long <laughs> yeah i'll be like oh dear <laughs> but yeah oh <laughs> or it'll be kind of like Kasuda Rock, so it'd be Nickelback, where it's kind of a bit edgy, but really not enough. So that real rockers hate them, <laughs> and annoying grungy kids that think they're great like them, and then they grow out of it because they realise that it's only three of their songs are good, and they're awful. It's funny that you say Nickelback. I don't know if you watch this show, but <laughs> that uh, what is the name of that show where they're um, all in? Uh, they're they're in um, uh, their afterlife. Oh my God, what is it name? Uh, it the good life, not the good uh, life. Uh, the, the good place. The good place. The good place. And <laughs> yes, oh, I love that show. I don't want to spoil anything, but there's basically uh, <laughs> a moment where Nickelback is played, and that is the uh, true meaning of what it's like to be in hell. <laughs> just playing Nickelback. Not <laughs> there we go. I it. 
<laughs> there we are. The music of Lucifer is Nickelback. <laughs> Just going, this is how you remind me. Yeah, yeah. No, no. Yeah, yeah. No, no. Yeah, yeah. No, no. But like, Just pick one. Just pick one. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> totally just thought that. I love it. There we go. Mm. But no, when on on a more like serious note, when he said that, when he said, Do you hear like the angels singing and stuff? Again, I thought like Gaia it's referring to Lucifer, but I thought it was a reference to the fact that like I just heard voices in the last scene. Was that what that whispering was? Oh. When everything was getting overpowered and a great force was, and energy was being released oh. and you hear all that whispering and talking in the background. I'm like, that must be what he was talking about. That thing I literally just uh, heard a moment ago. Oh, that's brilliant. Yeah, yeah, that that, that might have been actual singing and not just weird de- demonic chanting and playing gossip let's be honest i think all of us have voices in our heads otherwise we wouldn't be watching so much horror there's like there's something a little different about all of us when we're a huge horror fans yeah. so yeah. <laughs> i'm used to voices in our heads oh the bar oh oh we have a title for this it's boys in the bar the boys in the bar drinking brewskis while listening to blues okay i again thoughts loves poetry it was poetry poetry yeah What's not to love about this scene? It's the boys in the bar oh, yeah. being happy and flirty and touchy and beautiful. And Marcus being all like, I smile and I flirt and yeah. I love how Marcus's laugh when uh, Tomas tells that joke about, well, I thought the God playing music would sound like a six piece mariachi band. And you see Marcus just do that ginormous big lion laugh of, are you taking a piss? Like, it is so, like, genuine joy and love and yeah. camaraderie all together. <laughs> yeah, and he just looks so cute and he's happy and he's tipsy and it's just like, oh, yeah, they're just so beautiful. Yeah. They so when Tomas leaves and he says, oh. until next time, and then he goes in, in Spanish, he goes, a la próxima, hermano. I was like, oh. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Oh, and we love him. And they are really, really ready for this night to be a celebration. So they are so happy. They are so finally so free from everything that happened. Marcus is sure that this is over. And yeah, they it's not exactly. And they show us what kind of friendship is born between them. It's something forged, really forged in the fire of hell. So nothing will ever be able to break the connection between them. Those are two men, two brothers in arms, two men who had fought and won a war so deeply emotional, so exhausting, that what is born from that war will never be broken by anything. Oh, but, absolutely. Like yeah. it, it's, it, I'm sorry, go on, Kaya. No, no, uh, um, I was just uh, so happy for them in that scene. And yeah. the only thing that stain it for me is the knowledge that it's not over. Of course, of course. Yeah, you can't have a toast yeah, as beautiful and as poetic as Marcus is when he says to standing in the doorway and pushing back the night and they clink and it's so beautiful. Yeah. You cannot, as a horror fan, as anybody watching good storytelling and knowing that there's two episodes left, go, 
this is this is the ending you know there's there's so much more that's gonna happen to these poor shouty boys yeah, of course <laughs> of course it is yeah. No, it's, I think it's like, it's that moment when Marcus finally truly relaxes and allows himself to be himself to the point where he's like almost on the point of picking up a guy in a bar. Yeah. And you're just like, this is all going so perfectly. This man is finally accepting himself. Yeah. He's finally able to be the person he wants to be. Oh my God, how far, how far are these guys going to fall? Because we, we know that the worst is to come. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Oh, but... But, but, but talking about the the act of him finally able to like relax, you can even see it in his body posture. And I love this about Ben Daniels that he's able to do these like to, to communicate strongly this character's feelings through his body language. So he's relaxed. He's literally like draped over the bar. You can see him just you know he's down, he's low, just chilling. But then his when his body turns and sees the TV set and hears the Pope, obviously his spider senses start going off because something's wrong on this news report and his whole body just kind of like sharpens and, and, and tenses up like just something has changed in his, in his spirit and uh, just had to give a shout out to his acting again. Cause I'm just, Oh right. yeah. You could just feel, yeah. He just sucks all that relaxation. He just sucks it back in. He just represses everything. Mm -hmm. And he's no longer the man and he has to be the mission again. Yeah. Oh, oh that was beautiful. Can I have that on? I, that was beautifully said. So I need that on a coffee mug. That was no longer the man with the mission. I, oh. I love that. Yeah, I want the same mug too. <laughs> we if we ever merchandise yeah, it. Exactly, we exactly. We really should make mugs <laughs> and shirts. <laughs> right, right. Just plastered with Marcus and Tomas's faces everywhere, though. Yeah, and course. Bennett, too. Bennett needs to be in there. Of course. <laughs> well, speaking of Bennett, we have the next scene has oh, a, yeah. a big kidnapping scene, oh. calling it Cardinal Kidnapping. Poor Bennett. Yeah. Um, yeah. I was like, Bennett's really having a bad time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, like, uh, but that scene was still cool, well done too. They, they, I, I didn't know going into it that it was going to be a twist. Cardinal's actually bad, but guess what? He is. Yeah, yeah. I really, honestly thought that that, that was we were watching like the Bennett death scene. I really thought at the time when I first <laughs> yeah. watched it, I was like, oh no, he's dead. Oh, <laughs> he's already been stabbed, and he survived that. He's not going to be like survive like. Oh, asphyxiation yeah. in the back seat of a of a car. He's Same. Just, I'm, I'm like, I was like, oh, I'm, it's like he had that really cool sarcastic moment earlier, and I'm like, I'm really getting to like this guy. Oh, yeah, damn it. Damn it. <laughs> <laughs> I did the same thing like of how many scenes they had where I was like this is it Bennett's dying here yeah. this is it this they're gonna do it yeah. they're like every other horror show has to kill off the one character that I'm really obsessed with they're gonna kill him like this is it and, yeah. and he never dies and I love it I love that he's around and he no. needs to stay around forever and ever really the all I have is a, is the final scene mm -hmm. is with with Angela and Chris do we want to go ahead and, and talk about that uh, that final one? Oh, we've got Thomas in the church Oh, oh, you know what? I think I subconsciously wanted to skip this okay. because I was like, eh. <laughs> well, my thing is, is after episodes and episodes of wanting to roll up a newspaper and smack Thomas on the nose to his decisions, yeah. this was a scene where I went, oh, actually, that's really harsh. Yeah. He's not that bad. I was like, oh, dude. That's like, 
it was like, it was so clever how the guy was just like, I'm going to take something like and do even worse. We're not going to have a fight. I'm not going to beat you up. I'm actually just going to ruin your career and everything that makes you who you are. I'm just yeah. going to take the thing that makes you feel important. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But he had it coming to him. Sorry, Tomas. I love you to death, but you, you have that coming to you. And that, that <laughs> yeah. scene is also uh, very uh, focused on how uh, Jim feels is authorized to feel betrayed even if he's the one yeah. who first cheat on Jessica but it doesn't matter because the moment Jessica dares to do the same then he acts, he behaves and acts all uh, all pissed or hard so the moment the woman dares to raise her head and do the, the exactly same thing that the man did before, then things change. Then things yeah. change. It's uh, The whole scene is, uh, it has two main focuses. The one, men are supposed to be superior, so they can cheat, but the woman cannot cheat. And... Uh, the the way the church that should be the the most sacred places between everyone else uh it's the stage for a very personal drama because jim cheats on jessica yeah. jessica cheats on jim but in the end thomas is the one who cheats on m more things that john that just one person because he cheats on his uh on his call as a priest and uh, we know that there will be consequences and then just before the final you basically get marcus and the scooby gang yes and when yes. they realize that more is coming <laughs> and i do like the the fun little poke that cherry has to bennett because susan lester say you know what bennett was right and cherry's like if he wasn't insufferable to begin with <laughs> yeah <laughs> Oh, poor Bennett. Aww. Yeah, but he kind of has that coming too. Bennett could be a little nicer, but that's not his character. He's he's there to work, and he's got a, he's a man with a plan. <laughs> not, not make friends. Don't be mean to Bennett. Yeah. No. Right. I know you. I'm watching you. Don't be mean to Bennett. Okay, okay. I'll be kind. <laughs> he deserves kindness. In this episode. He does. He does. He's had a hard life. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, well, this is the final scene. We've got yeah. Angela and Chris, and they're packing up their things. They're being a little jokey. You know, the, oh, do you think this will affect the resale of the house? Whoa, you know, just like, oh, it's kind of over. But uh, it's almost a little bit, again, too nicely wrapped up. Everything is too clean, and, <laughs> and it has a little bow on top type of ending. So we know, you know, this isn't going to play out well. And that's exactly what happens yeah. uh, with mom and Angela, you know, having that conversation at the top of the stairs. Yeah. So what, yeah. what, what are we? It's like Angela's really getting more aggressive. Yes. yes. Yeah. She starts getting more aggressive and she starts acting a little bit out of character. So I remember at first thinking, oh, maybe what I thought, maybe her giving herself up didn't happen maybe something else and we're going to see the happy ending and it seems to be playing out wait a minute she seems to be a little bit more aggro than she's been oh wait there's something not right here they're really this isn't this isn't right and then you're like and then it's 
is the like hey little stink pot and yep. i'm like oh there it is oh <laughs> yeah. she just yeah yeah I just because I I wasn't aware that she had given herself up yet to the demon at this point I really thought it was all Tomas and Marcus and Bernadette's chanting you know I knew that there was that little flashback sequence but they don't actually reveal or in my mind I was like she didn't actually say anything that would imply that she's given herself up because right she doesn't actually say take me instead until next episode right that's the big reveal die. So in my mind, I'm like, oh, she is fine. But then what, like what you said, Zoe, when she starts being colder and I think when she said, oh, and then she'll have the rancid McNeil jeans, rancid, I'm going, that's yeah. not something Angela would say. Why is she being so cold? And then, burp, burp, then okay, Pazuzu's inside yeah, of her. Yeah. There we are. And she kills her mom. Of course. Even because Pazuzu, Pazuzu yeah, hates Chris. Chris is the one who called mm-hmm. the first exorcist to defeat him. So Pazuzu uh, holds a huge grudge against Chris. Mm-hmm. He's only very, very happy to finally be able to kill her. So he yeah. waited for so long. Yeah, and of course, and and of course, yeah, he's happy to kill her in the style of the way that he loves of the course. most, which is not only gruesome, snap, snapping somebody's yeah. neck, but also let me throw them down the stairs as well, which again, more homages to the original horror uh, movie with the stair sequence. It's just so fitting. Everything is so perfectly fitting of what Pazuzu wants to do. Well, let's do it. Then I know we're going to enter the writer's room now. Gaia, I know you had a really big piece on Bennett and his role here yeah. and uh, let's give him some love yeah. so where where what do you got for us today? okay uh I will start with Bennett just because I love him so much and I think he deserves all the love in this episode uh, we can see the whole narrative arc for uh, Bennett um Bennett is uh, uh, an amazing character under so many points of view that I will try my best to to tell everything I want to, to say about him without being boring. Uh, Bennett is an amazing character from the point of view of a screenwriter because finally, in a TV show that uh, is uh, led by two white characters, even if uh, Tomas is played by a Mexican actor, so we can see a little bit difference, but almost every leading character is a white person. Uh, We can finally see a black man who is obviously well-educated. He is probably more educated than Marcus and Tomas, because of the role he, he covers inside the Vatican, he can enter the rooms of power and he can do that with such a, a natural behavior that no one dares to tell him one single thing, even when he says every white person who try to underpower him. We saw him with uh, the the chief of the police. We saw him with a very important cardinal. We saw him dealing with the university professor. 
and no one of those characters can overpower him. He has culture, he has power, he has uh, he doesn't have wealth, but only because he is a priest, so he is not supposed to have wealth. But with his mind, he can defeat everyone. But he is such a great character that in this episode, we can see him um, lose everything. Thomas is not the only one who lost everything. Uh, even Bennett went through an even harsher waking up call because uh, Marcus is a lone wolf. He can keep fighting the good fight even from the outside. Bennett, since the beginning, is shown like someone who has still a deep trust in the church and its hierarchy. This is the episode in which Bennett is going to lose his innocence. Bennett is going to lose everything he believed to be real. When he goes to the cardinal, to expose the plot against the Pope, he does it because he really believes the Cardinal is going to listen and to do something. He has no idea, he doesn't even suspect that in truth he is going to tell what he found out to the man behind the whole plot. So the scene in which he speaks to the cardinal uh, is perfect. In that moment, the way it's filmed, in that moment, they are framed into a confessional of sort. The outside world doesn't exist. It's only him and the cardinal, a man and his confessor. So no one else is allowed into that frame only in the end only at the end of the scene he turns around looks straight to us and tell us we don't have time our time is running out that's the moment he breaks the frame and he realizes again that there is an outside world who is, that is going to be affected by what could happen to the Pope. But for a moment, it's only him and the Cardinal, someone he trusts, because of course you must trust your confessor. That's why it's heartbreaking when at the end he is kidnapped by the one man he trusted to stop the plot against the Pope. Yeah, that's yeah. heartbreaking because that, I, if you think of it with that new relationship of not just uh, cardinal and and priest, but confessor and and one that is giving the confession, it makes it such a uh, a relationship that's so much rooted in something exactly. deeper, greater. Uh, it's a it's a it's a divine feeling, and oh man, it, it yeah. must be an intimate relationship you have with the one you choose to listen to your confession, because you show you Absolutely. show the truest part of yourself. 
right. In, in the traditional way of confessing, you're you're almost you're, when when confessions used to take place in confessional yeah. booths, they don't much happen anymore. At least where where I go to church, they're they're more open, and you don't go in a booth; you just sit in the pew. Um, but in this old school way that there's so much vulnerability that you have to hide yourself from the face of the person you're confessing to, because again, that feeling of shame and, 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 and you have to also enter with reverence and a low head kind of idea. Um, There is that connection that you're trusting him so deeply with this. It's going to go straight to God. Um, It's not, it's a sacred, you know, moment that, you know, it, it has such such a deeper feeling to it that when you break that trust, when that cardinal goes out and turns out to be the one that's involved in all this, that is so much yeah. greater feeling for Bennett yeah. to have. I, I I feel I feel even worse for Bennett now. Good, thanks. <laughs> that was my that was my intent. I needed you to love Bennett as he deserves. <laughs> I do. And I, and I just feel so bad now because I was Good. making fun Good. of him earlier. <laughs> now just... that... <laughs> I'm never going to do that ever oh, again. God. Now, now that you had I your can... <laughs> heart broken, you can understand why you shouldn't make fun of Bennett. Right. <laughs> I really do in my heart of hearts. I really do admire and appreciate Bennett's character. I just like ripping him, ripping on him so much. <laughs> Great. Um, well, awesome. That's awesome, guy. Thank you for You're that welcome. take on on their relationship. I know there's also a piece we wanted to discuss: the upside down yeah. crosses and the and the the origin there and the symbolism there. Because I don't know if everybody knows about the origins of the upside down oh, crosses. Uh, well, that. That's a tricky subject because no one really knows when the upside down cross began to be a symbol of anti-Christianity. When St. Peter was condemned to death and was condemned to be crucified like Jesus, he felt he wasn't worth of the same death our Savior had. So he asked the Romans to crucify him upside down so that he could watch at the sky from his lower position because he knew he was lower than Jesus. Wait, whoa. I I knew about him being ashamed and not wanting to be crucified the same way as as Jesus, and so that's why he went upside down. But I didn't know the sky yeah. viewing Yeah, part. because he, he wanted to, to look at the sky from a very low position. His head was uh, almost touching the ground. So that, oh that's why okay. the upside-down cross, it's also called the St. Peter's cross, because he is the Really? Only, yes. Is the only one. Another new thing. I didn't know that either. <laughs> That's awesome. I mean, it's not awesome that he had to be uh, crucified upside down or crucified at all. But like, <laughs> oh my god! And and the the Saint Peter's cross or Petrine's cross. It's one of the symbol that indicates the Pope. Many people knows about the the cross with three arms or the keys, but another symbol of the Pope is the St. Peter's cross. 
during uh, the late 18th century, the late yeah, during the late 18th century, uh, someone had the great idea to to think that the reason why the Pope has between his symbols, between the symbols of his power, the upside down cross is because in truth the Pope is the Antichrist. <laughs> oh, yeah. There's yeah. the connection. Yeah, exactly. So, uh, basically, there are many legends about why uh, Satanism choose that as a symbol. Uh, uh, I think one of the most believable or at least one of the most logical is that when you look at the cross you uh, can see the shape of a sword when we talk about the, the normal cross uh, the point of the blade points to the ground so it points to hell and it means that God won over Lucifer and Satan. When you put the cross upside down, the point looks at the sky. And that means that in that moment is Lucifer or Satan holding the sword and winning the war against God. Oh my gosh. Yeah, that, that, wow. that's one of the <laughs> most logical explanation I found. Someone uh, claims that is because uh, when we speak about Satanism, uh, we speak about something that simply uh, turns the meaning of everything that Christianity is and stands for. So the upside down cross, it only means that you have to read uh, everything that Christianity says and claims uh, in the opposite. But I... In the, in, in yeah, the reverse, right? Yeah, in the reverse. So, yeah, but I prefer the, I prefer the, the imaging of the sword. I love the sword yeah. imagery. That is, yeah. that is really cool. The idea, and it, and also the, <laughs> as you're telling me this, I'm thinking what else it looks like. And when it's on its head like that, it looks like a big middle finger to the yeah. sky. <laughs> like, yeah. 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 Satan is just like flipping the bird yeah. <laughs> over to God. Like I'm down here, but <laughs> forget you, man. Yeah. Ah, oh, that is so cool. Uh, the image of the of the crucifix has is really beautiful in itself. You know, yeah. people have written poems about it, and and those intersections and the way that uh, horror movies and pop culture is now taking it has has really done a good job of saying yeah this represents all things like metal and and dark and sinister because look we just turned it upside down yeah. we're rebels yeah, I, <laughs> I, I i love it <laughs> but um well oh, nice well i like that they brought it back in this in this episode too we really see all them yeah. all the the dangling and even when they shoot when when the homeless man shoots himself the blood sprays yeah. of course on an upside down cross so well, very cool. Thank you for sharing that, Gaia, for the writer's room. Well, then, should should we get into the, the final piece of our Exorcist Congregation shout-out? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Well, I have one biggie that I wanted to recognize because I'm obsessed with their work. Um, this person is both on Twitter and Tumblr as at 
Weirds, W-E-A-R-D-E-S. And this person creates the coolest, the coolest fan art for The Exorcist. And he's very prolific. Like, he's constantly putting stuff out and every single one is good. And it's has, this person has like a really cool style. It has like spin on some of the fashion that Marcus wears. So he'll have like a scarf and like, he'll have like really tight pants and cool, like, fashionable hipster shoes i just love the way they fashion and then like it's there's also some of them are like moving art too like one has actual like things floating around the 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 character it's just it's it's really neat so um if you're a fan of the exorcist fan art i highly recommend you check out at weirds and thank you weirds for publishing all your work for us to look at and for me to look at and be like i like this i like this a lot i need to share this because it's amazing (laughs) so i think yeah. We Unless we it. have anything funny final final thoughts, then we did it. We did it. <laughs> Yoo-hoo. Yoo-hoo. We did it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks for listening. We love you, Exorcist thank Congregation. You. And renew the Exorcist. Keep stay vocal. Stay vocal. It's, it's yeah, thank keep you. Fighting. Okay. Thank you. <laughs>